0: What's up everybody, Gen X Dividend Investor here. In this video I'm going to show you my real dividend portfolio infidelity as a response to a troll who said my portfolio couldn't be legit since it magically seems to go up even though the market has been harsh to dividend stocks. I'm also excited to show you an awesome stock researching tool I started using after hearing rave reviews about it on my dividend discord so I recommend you watch this from start to end. But I want to kick things off with this cool quote that my friend Sublime on my dividend discord recently shared. It goes, keep your head up in failure and your head down in success. I think that's an awesome quote to live by, one which actually causes me to reflect as I do this video because I don't want to be perceived as someone who is bragging about their portfolio. The truth is I'd rather fly under the radar when it comes to money. In fact, none of my close relatives or even best friends know that I'm a self-made multimillionaire. So when I do these portfolio review videos, it's not because I'm trying to brag, but instead it's because I want to motivate and inspire you and show you what's possible if you invest for decades. I'm very confident that pretty much anyone can build a decent portfolio over the long run if they educate themselves and stay committed to investing, especially when their portfolio looks ugly. Anyway, the reason I titled this video my fake dividend portfolio is because of this comment I just got which says, and I quote, For a guy who claims to be living off dividends, the portfolio just magically and impressively goes up year after year, like clockwork, even through years that have been tough for dividend stocks. Sure, yep, completely legit, lol. I pity the kids who follow in your footsteps. They will never know who screwed them over for views and likes, end quote. Well, he said patty the kids, but I assume he meant pity. And I know I don't need to respond to trolls, and many of you are thinking I should just ignore comments like that, but I felt his would be fun to respond to, so stay tuned for that as well. But first, here's a screenshot I took of my accounts in Fidelity on January 21st of 2024. I have three dividend accounts here, and you can see they add up to 2.86 million US dollars. I've blocked out some information I don't want to share, like my account numbers and stuff not tied to my dividend portfolios. I have 1.27 million dollars of dividend stocks in my IRA, which isn't a Roth because Roths didn't exist when I started investing, and I made the mistake of not starting one when I found out about them. I know I can convert over now, but that would be a big hit to my current income. Then I have 1.39 million of dividend stocks in my taxable account, and I have $185,000 worth of stocks in an account for my wife that I manage. My wife's hourly jobs over the years often didn't have 401ks, and I made the mistake of not focusing on building her retirement account that much as years went on. Okay, the markets closed green when I took this screenshot, which is why each account is up for the day. As your account grows, you will obviously see greater dollar swings on any given day, and over time bigger swings won't mean as much to you. Like I no longer get excited on big up days, nor do I get irked on big down days. Let's start with looking at the positions in my IRA account and I've sorted my tickers alphabetically. So first I have AbbVie at 247 shares worth almost 41 grand which is 3.19% of my IRA and it shows us that on February 15th is when ABV will pay me its dividends. ABV pays out $1.55 per share per quarter so its payout will be 247 shares times $1.55 per share times 4 quarters which is $1,531 a year or $383 per quarter. Next I have BTI, and you might notice that I have a fractional amount of it since I own 179.31 shares. The reason is when I moved my accounts a few years ago from E-Trade to Fidelity, they actually sold the fractional shares of each ticker I had, rounding me to the nearest whole number. So any fractional share you see now means I bought, dripped, or sold some fractional amount of shares since I moved. And most of you know that I turned off my drips and basically stopped reinvesting my dividends once they were enough to cover my expenses. I say basically because I do invest a very small portion of my dividends into a few tickers, which I'll elaborate on since my dividends pay all my bills it means they also pay my mortgage so it's cool to know that i'm investing my dividends in another way as they build equity in my house i currently have a 30 year fixed mortgage at 2.625 percent and i could have avoided having that loan since the profit i made from selling our last house could have purchased our new house outright but i was confident that i could average more than a 2.6 percent annualized return over the long run so i decided to invest my house profits after setting aside 20 percent down on my new place Some people prefer to pay off their house to sleep better at night and it's got to be an amazing feeling to own your own house outright and normally I ought to have done that if rates were high but at all time historical low mortgage rates I felt comfortable taking a riskier path but one that still let me sleep well at night. Okay I'm going to just quickly tell you the tickers in each of my accounts instead of also going over their amounts since I'll share the total position sizes when I do my spreadsheet review. So after BTI and my IRAs, Caterpillar, Colgate-Palmolive, Devo, Duke Energy, Goldman Sachs, JEPQ, Q, and j Kimberly-Clark, which actually just announced a 3.4% dividend hike after I took this screenshot, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, Altria, Realty Income, Pepsi, Procter & Gamble, Starbucks, SCHD, Southern Company, Toronto Dominion Bank, and ExxonMobil. BTI and TD are the two non-US stocks I own. In total, Fidelity estimates that my IRA yields $56,752 a year in dividend income, and you already saw that my IRA is worth a little over $1.27 million. When I show you my spreadsheet, it will more accurately estimate my dividend income for my international tickers because my code dynamically adjusts in real time for currency fluctuations, whereas I don't think Fidelity does. If I click on the activity tab for my IRA, we see the screen which shows all the dividends getting paid to me recently, along with the fact that I took some early distributions from my retirement accounts since some under age 59 and a half. When I transfer dividend cash out of my IRA, it asks me if Fidelity should withhold a percentage of the distribution for federal and state taxes, and I have them withhold 0% because I have my own process to set aside some of the distribution for taxes. So like this shows, I got a $697 realty income dividend in this account on January 12th, and a $510 ultra dividend on January 10th, Then I got a $404 dividend from Pepsi on January 5th, etc. Okay, let's move into my taxable account next. My first ticker alphabetically in here is Apple at 408 shares worth 78 grand and which generates a tiny $391 a year. I hold Apple since it adds more growth potential to my portfolio, though clearly it's not great for income. However, as I previously mentioned, I did trim some of my Apple position, which was up hundreds of percentage in order to increase my cash flow in retirement. Then I've got AbV, BTI, Colgate Palmolive, Chevron, Duke Energy, Enterprise Products Partners, J&J, Kimberly Clark, and Coke. Enterprise Products Partners is an MLP, so I only keep it in my taxable, and all its payouts for the next decade should be return of capital, which means they'll come to me at a 0% tax rate. My overall tax rate for my other dividends in my taxable account is super low since I only have social media income, and a married couple can actually make 116 grand a year of qualified dividends in a taxable account and owe $0 in federal income taxes if they don't have other income coming in. Okay, on to the next page of my taxable tickers. Now we see McDonald's, Altria, Microsoft, Realty Income, Pepsi, Procter & Gamble, PM, SCHD, Southern Company, and ExxonMobil for a total of $1.39 million worth of stocks, which generates $60,425 a year in dividends. Moving on to my wife's IRA, we see AbbVie, BTI, Home Depot, JNJ, Altria, Realty Income, Toronto Dominion, and Travelers adding up to about 185 dollars worth of stocks yielding $7,500 a year. So if we add up the dividends from all three accounts, we get $124,680 a year, pretty close to my spreadsheet, which estimates a bit over $124,800. Okay, let's take a look at my spreadsheet, which I've sorted based on market value for each ticker, so largest positions going to smallest. Then after my spreadsheet review, I'll show you an awesome stock researching tool you'll want to see, and I'll end things with my response to the troll. This is a zoomed out view of my overall portfolio, and it's how I look at my spreadsheet normally on my desktop. I'll zoom in in a moment. The first column is my tickers, and my spreadsheet automatically highlights them in various colors depending on when they pay out, as a way to draw my attention to them. Specifically my tickers highlight in green if it's paying out today, in cyan if it's paying out within a week, in yellow if it's within a month, which is true for all the yellow highlighted tickers you see here, and then it remains unhighlighted in white if it's paying out in more than a month from now. Then i have an account field which i use to select which account i want to view amongst my various ones more i can select all like i have it currently selected so i can add up all the stocks across my accounts in a summary view like this then it has my overall quantity of shares of each ticker next it lists what percentage of my portfolio each ticker represents either as a percentage of the account i have selected or as a percentage of my overall portfolio if i have all selected then it shows some stock pricing information which updates automatically throughout the trading day then it has the market value of each ticker, then their logo, which I move to this middle part of my portfolio to more easily see other values relative to the ticker in question. Then my spreadsheet lists the X dates and then the pay dates, and it automatically pulls in the correct dates once companies announce them. So like Schwab hasn't announced SCHD's next payout date yet, even though I know it should be in March since the last quarterly payout was in December, but once they announce it, then my portfolio will update it and dynamically color code things. Then it lists how much dividends payout per pay period per ticker, where period is usually monthly or quarterly, Then it lists how much dividends per year the ticker should pay out, then it has the current dividend yield of the ticker, and it highlights yields greater than or equal to 4% in green, then it has its 3 year dividend CAIGER, then I have a few other columns like it has PEs and a graph of how the stock has done over the last year, then upcoming earnings dates, etc. My portfolio's average weighted PE is 21.64, and since historical averages for the overall market are more like 15 to 17, that tells me that my tickers are most likely overpriced, which is part of the reason why it wouldn't surprise me when a correction hits. I'll talk more about PE's a bit later when I show you the cool stock tool. Okay, and my portfolio's average weighted beta is 0.59, which generally means it's less volatile than the overall market, and I'd guess I'd lose less in down markets, but I'd also gain less in up markets. Looking at my totals, we see I have 37,602 shares of stock, my portfolio is up $16,999 for the day, my total portfolio value is $2.86 million, and my spreadsheet estimates that I'll make $124,849 a year in dividends. That annual dividend amount will probably go up as the year goes on and I get dividend hikes and as I do minor buys, though nothing is guaranteed and companies could always cut or drop their dividend. My portfolio's average weighted yield is 4.36%, and my portfolio's average weighted three-year historical dividend category is 6.37%. Newer investors sometimes mistake current yields for portfolio returns, which it isn't. And for reference, before I officially retired, my portfolio's average weighted yield was 3.something percent, because I was more optimized for growth over income. But then as I wanted more income, I moved out of some of my lowest yielding stuff and into higher yielding things that I felt were still reasonably safe. A question I sometimes get is why don't I just put everything in a savings account or a CD or in a treasury bond, which wouldn't have all the risk of stocks and still probably would make around 5%. And if you want to know my answer to that, then watch a video I did called 2 million plus dividend portfolio, new daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly dividend records, where I give a nuanced response to that question. Another question I'm often asked is if I do options on some of my tickers, and the answer is I used to but no longer do. You can watch a video I did called what I learned living on dividends for three years to understand why. Okay, now let's zoom in. SCHD is my largest position right now and I have 203 grand of it. Dividend ETFs like SCHD and dividend stocks as a whole tend to do worse when interest rates are high which makes sense because investors often look for yield somewhere and if they can't get what they want from dividends well they gotta get it elsewhere. Then once rates fall then stock dividend yield gets more compelling to many investors and then as buys flow in it pushes dividend stock prices up. Ironically most people like to invest when prices are high and they sell when prices are low which is often the exact opposite of what the best financial move would be. After SCHD, my next largest position is Realty Income ticker O at around two hundred and two grand. I hold almost all of my O position in retirement accounts, though recently started a small position in my taxable, somewhat as an experiment and somewhat because I feel it's just too underpriced to ignore, especially since I'd like to grow that position until I'm making one grand a month in dividends from its nine hundred sixteen dollars a month I'm at right now. After O's, J and J at one hundred fifty six grand. Then Abvy at 153K, MoAltria at 153K, Microsoft at 149, JEPQ at 134, and Devo at 128. Ought to avoid income ETFs like JEPQ and Devo unless you wanted income now and you understood the risks and downsides to them. Next I have Enterprise Product Partners at 128K, then Pepsi at 127, McDonald's at 123, ExxonMobil at 116, and Procter and Gabble at 113K for my first page of tickers. Now, before I switch to my last page of stocks, I'll mention that the only buys I'm doing these days is I'm investing 20% of my SCHD, Realty Income, Devo, and Jepq dividends back into themselves, and the other 80% of those four tickers I'm withdrawing, along with I'm withdrawing 100% of the dividends from all my other tickers. Basically, with my ETFs, I'm cool to always drip a bit into them. Next is Duke at 103K, Coke at 100K, BTI at 83K, Apple at 78, Southern Company at 77, Kimberly Clark at 68. Goldman Sachs at 68, PM at 61K, Caterpillar at 59, Colgate Palmolive at 53, Toronto Dominion at 49, Home Depot at 36, Travelers at 33K, and finally Starbucks at 29K for a total of 2.86 million, generating about 125 grand a year in divvies. Here are two graphs my spreadsheet creates, where the top one is portfolio value by sector, and the bottom one is passive income by sector. So, like healthcare is 10.8% of my portfolio by value and only 8.3% of my income. Or SIN stocks are 10.4% of my portfolio by value, but are at a much larger 21.3% of my annual income. SIN stocks are something I'd avoid as a younger investor. My largest sectors by value are consumer staples at 16.2%, tech at 12.7%, and ETFs and energy at 11%. Now ETFs aren't a classic GICS sector, nor are SIN stocks, so I've taken the liberty to categorize those sectors as I like to see them. My largest sectors by income are SIN like I said, and then energy at 14%, then tech and consumer staples at 11 percent My smallest sectors are industrials and financials, so over time I'll probably slowly rectify that, though I'm not doing that right now. Okay, now let's look at a view of how my dividend income is estimated to grow over time, assuming its historical growth rate holds true in the future. So the top line are the year over year estimates for my dividend income if I'm not investing any more into my stocks, and the bottom line is how my income would grow if I had my drips turned fully on and I make around 125 a year right now, and if I spend all my dividends, which I'm pretty much doing right now, then by year 5 my dividend income would grow to be about 170 a year. This isn't adjusted for inflation, but I've got an input field you can use in my spreadsheet if you want to adjust for it. Now if I had my drips on over those 5 years, then this estimates that I'd be making 208 grand a year in dividend income, which helps highlight how much faster your snowball compounding happens when you're reinvesting your dividends rather than using them. I'll probably end somewhere between those two rows, closer to the top number than the bottom number, since I'm doing a tiny bit of reinvesting. Then I also have a section at the bottom which breaks my dividend income into other time frames. So I'll make about $10,400 a month on average, which is $2400 a week, or $342 a day, more $14 an hour, every hour, year round, while I'm sleeping or playing video games or whatever. My spreadsheet estimates my dividend income out to 30 years for fun, though obviously the further you go out the less reliable the estimates become. So like 30 years from now it estimates that I'd be making $795,000 a year in dividend income if I was spending all of it each year and if my companies kept increasing their dividends as they have been historically. Or I'd be making a whopping $2.2 million a year if I had been reinvesting my dividends that whole time. Now I know 30 years is a lot, and I'd probably be on death's door at that time, and odds are that some of my stocks will have cut their dividends, and some stocks won't raise them as much as they historically have, and inflation will aid away at those numbers, but even if I was making only a third of that estimate, it'd still be boku bucks. This graph here shows you visually the power of drips versus no drips, i.e. reinvesting dividends and thus snowball compounding in the top red line, versus the bottom line in blue which represents no drips, i.e. if you're spending your dividends like I am now. And then here's a partial screenshot of what I call my calendar view, which shows me what dividends are going to be paid out in the upcoming months. The current month, January, is highlighted in green, and you can see that this month O paid me 915 bucks. and then in February O was estimated to pay me 916 bucks. It went up a bit because I bought about 200 bucks of O from its strip this month and plan to keep doing that each month until I hit my $1k per month goal. Other payouts in January include Altree at $3,723, Jepq at $1,028, Devo at $497, Pepsi at 971, Kimberly Clark at 658, Philip Morris at 863, and Toronto Dominion at 616 for a total of 9,274. In February, I'm currently estimated to get $10,071 in dividends. In March, I should get $11,799 in dividends, and then in April it's 9,340. May is $10,071, and July is $11,799 again. Basically, the monthly totals repeat quarterly, and will increase if hikes happen, or if I keep dripping a bit, or can decrease if cuts happen. I have other useful parts of my spreadsheet that show dividends received over time, tools to estimate how different portfolios could grow, tools that estimate how a dividend portfolio could be used to retire on, etc. Okay, now let's switch gears and take a look at a cool tool I think you're really going to love, but feel free to use the timestamp on screen if you just want to jump to the section after this where I'm responding to that troll. One frequent thing I say in my videos is that it's best to buy a stock when it's underpriced, which I often calculate using discounted cash flows, but there are other interesting ways you can use to determine how a stock's price is looking. Specifically, check out this tool called FastGraphs, which is something people on my Discord have been using and raving about for a long time. I gotta say I'm very impressed with it, to the point that the only two stock sites I'd pay for would be seeking Alpha and FastGraphs. Well, and for my spreadsheet, if you're a dividend investor. Now, I'm still a noob when it comes to FastGraphs, so I need to spend more time going through the documentation videos on how to utilize their tool properly. For reference, FastGraphs' co-founder is a guy named Chuck Carnival, aka Mr. Valuation, and he has a YouTube channel with over 140,000 subs. The more I use this tool, the more I get impressed with it, and I actually wrote to Chuck's support team asking them if they have any affiliate programs, and they wrote back to me and let me become an affiliate for them. So I've included my FastGraphs affiliate link in the description of this video in case you want to sign up. Right now it's $15.95 a month for their basic service, or $48 a month for their premium service. I've been paying for their basic tool, but their premium stuff sounds really compelling, so I'll probably look into that soon. Premium has a bunch of additional graphing options, multiple intrinsic value metrics, it has a really powerful stock screener that lets you find companies that have characteristics you want, like a certain minimum yield, how many years they've been paying a dividend, blah blah blah, and they have a bunch of pre-built portfolios that show you things like current dividend champions, and lots more. Of course, no tool is perfect, but this one is really valuable. Like, let's say you want to look up Procter & Gamble. It'll show you something like this, and let's focus on the middle section for now, using the default values for everything. The blue line and its associated ratios represent calculated P.E. multiples at which the market has tended to value the company over time. So whereas 15-ish is the norm average for most companies as a whole, at least historically speaking, each company has their own value of P.E. that it averages. And side note, usually different decades have different P.E. averages for the overall market. Like from 1973 to 1985, P.E.'s track closer to 10x, whereas during the last 15 years, with the exception of the Great Recession, the average P.E. ratio has been closer to 19x. The highest PE ratio the SP500 ever reached was something insane like over 120x, and the lowest was like 5x, and the median has trended up a bit lately to 17 something, but I still think of 15 as the norm. If you hover over the blue line it tells you that PG's average PE historically runs expensive at 20.4, which makes sense that a great stock would average higher than the market average. The black line represents PG's stock price, so another way I interpret this is when the black line is above the blue line, it's trending higher than its historical price per earnings mark, which is what we see it's at today, so spendy. The orange line represents where its price would be if it had a 15 PE. Now if you wanted to look at realty income or another read on this graph, then instead of using earnings, you'd change this top input field to use FFO or AFFO instead. Of course, it's not prudent to just look at one graph and make a decision to buy or sell a stock. However, I do feel it's worth using this tool as part of your decision-making process on what you do, with the caveat that I'm still learning things and may misinterpret certain things at this stage of the game. Anyway, there's a ton of useful info all over this first page, like what its expected earnings growth will be over time, and in this case it estimates 5.83%, which is pretty cool since in my experience stock price tends to follow earnings over the long run. And there's other useful info on here, like what the company's credit rating is and blah blah blah, and all of this is on the default historical view tool. Then there's a performance tool, which you dividend investors will also like, because it shows you historical dividend growth percentages over time, adjusted earnings payout ratio over time, dividend growth rates over time, and a ton of other great info. FastGraphs also has forecasting calculators with different PE points in the future to estimate potential pricing. There's a lot more in the forecasting tool, but I'm going to keep moving quickly there's a helpful analyst scorecard tool that tells you a bunch of information on analysts who are following PG and predicting its performance and such. The more I dig into this tool, I really feel it's a must-have for anyone who's serious about buying and selling stocks, and I strongly urge you to give FastGraphs a go, regardless of using my affiliate link or not. Obviously, I'd love it if you click on my affiliate link and then sign up, as it's the same price for you regardless, and it gives me a small commission, and it's a cool way you can support the work I do to help educate the world to the power of investing. If you do use my link, then drop me a note and tell me, as I think that'd be cool to know. I get dozens of requests each week for me to be an affiliate or to sponsor something, but unless I really believe in it and use them, then I won't pitch it. But if my family members were asking me how they should invest in stocks, then I'd tell them that FastGraphs is a tool I'd recommend they sign up for. I'd also tell them to learn how to read financial statements, and then do other basic things like check out various growth metrics, dividend metrics, understand the market and competition, and stuff like that. Leave me a comment if you use FastGraphs now, along with what you like about it and anything you might dislike and feel free to ping me if there's something I should know about it that can benefit others when I'm doing my videos. Beyond fast graphs, I also really value seeking out articles and associated comments on those articles, not because I always agree with the perspective shared in the article, but because they're often written by passionate investors who've researched what they're talking about, and then their comments sections often have different perspectives by people that have their own insights and biases, all of which helps me broaden my understanding of the company in question. Of course, you can forego single stocks completely and just stick with VTI or something, but if you do want to delve into the world of investing in individual companies, then I feel the value you get from tools like FastGraphs is seriously worth considering. I mean, making just 1% or 2% better decisions over multiple decades of your investing can work out to be a ton, and I mean a ton, of value. Okay, now let's switch gears and I'll respond to my nice little troll who's part of the reason why I did this video. Now being on social media means there will sometimes be trolls. Like literally as I was working on this part of the video, I got a notification of a new comment on my last video where I was reviewing a subscriber's portfolio and a different troll said that it was the worst video I had ever made. I've uploaded almost 300 videos on my dividend channel, so them thinking it was my worst one was pretty fascinating to me. I'd have appreciated it if they'd explained why they thought it was my worst one and the only thing I can think of is that they didn't like that I gave some negative feedback about someone's portfolio. But I'll always give honest feedback as empathetically as I can. Is that even a word? But sometimes you might not like what I say. Maybe my troll got mad because of something I said about some tickers that he might be longing, or something. Regardless, let's get back to the troll who said that my portfolio wasn't legit. So number one, I am living off dividends, and have been for years. That might seem impossible to the troll, but I've met multiple people online who are also retired due to dividends. And for my new subscribers who haven't watched my old videos and wonder how I made my money, the quick answer is that I've been investing for 30 years, and I started my first real jobs as a programmer at a small company, and then eventually moved into tech management, though I've never worked in any of the snazzy places like Google or Amazon or Facebook or whatever. I've been married for around 25 years now, and neither me nor my wife were ever given anything other than token stuff throughout our lives, and neither of us have won the lottery or inherited anything, and in fact we started at a negative net worth when we got married because she had some credit card debt. I tell you all that so you understand that my portfolio came from decades of investing, not because I'm a trust fund kid or something. Number two, I'm betting that Mr. Troll hasn't watched all my videos, or he'd have seen my portfolios in E-Trade when I was there, and then in Fidelity when I moved there. I've shown my portfolios both in my broker's web interfaces, as well as my broker's smartphone app interfaces, and I've made multiple videos showing when I did some stock buys, both in E-Trade and in Fidelity, money that came from profits of selling our house, as well as when we did a work rollover into an IRA. So bottom line, if he thinks I'm lying about living on dividends, or if he thinks that my portfolio is my dividend income is fake somehow, then I don't know what to say other than I personally wouldn't waste time watching videos of someone if I thought they weren't legit, especially in the finance space. Now maybe he was trying to say that I'm not really retired because I'm doing YouTube videos, and I'd say okay, at least I can understand that perspective, though he didn't seem to be giving me that vibe in his comment. Regardless, and as I've previously explained, my YouTube stuff is a fun hobby for me, a hobby which also makes some money, and a hobby that I'm using as an opportunity to help teach my kids about how they can start their own social media business from scratch. For example, my son loves playing video games, like I do, and he's got an over-the-top personality when he's gaming, to the point that I think people would enjoy watching him stream, so now I'm showing him how he could build his own business online. I know what it takes to grow on social media, and my other passion is video games, so I think I can really help him out. I really want my kids to have careers they're passionate about, rather than work in toxic situations for bosses they dislike. I've had some nasty jobs in my life, and I pushed through the crap because I felt I had to. But I'll do whatever I can so that my kids have it better than I've had it, and I recognize that all those tough times helped shape who I am today, so obviously some good can come from tough situations. Speaking of my kids, they were actually my original reason for starting my channel, as I was looking for a way to document and eventually share my investing insights with them, once they were old enough to care. Beyond them, another big reason I do social media stuff is because I desperately want everyone in the world to understand the power and pleasure of better financial health from dividend stocks. Dividends have been such an amazing force of happiness and stress reduction in my life that I want everyone to know about them. I'm someone who's always trying to influence people around me to invest, whether I'm talking to a neighbor or to my Uber driver, so preaching the same thing on a bigger social media stage is a natural step for me. Another reason I do social media is because I've read that it's important to keep your mind sharp in retirement. Learning new skills, being creative, establishing new relationships, even online ones, are all ways to help keep your mind stay sharp, rather than stagnate away from vegging on the couch. Plus, I know that finances are often something that people stress about, so if I can help people go on a better and less stressful path, then it's extremely rewarding to be able to do that. I know that investing can help act as a cushion when tough financial things happen in life, like when you lose a job. And investing is not just something that can change your life, but also the lives of your significant other, your kids, maybe even your future generations. So I'm not doing social media stuff because it's a job for me and the reality is that my dividends provide more income than my family needs based on how we live our lives and anything I get beyond what we need is just gravy. And my number three point for my troll is that my dividend income has been trending up year after year even in bad markets but that's what normally happens if you hold a diverse basket of decent dividend stocks. Like any day now, Chevron should be increasing their dividend another 8%. I get $3,038 a year in Chevron dividends right now, so after an 8% hike, my income will go up another $243 a year. That might not seem like a lot, but everything helps your dividend snowball keep growing. In February, I expect Pepsi, Coke, Home Depot, and maybe BTI to all announce dividend hikes. In March, should be Colgate-Palmolive. In April, I expect to see hikes from Procter & Gamble, j j Southern Company, Travelers, and maybe ExxonMobil, followed by Apple. So maybe my troll didn't understand how dividends work, so he thought I was lying since my dividend income has been trending up, even when the stock market isn't doing great for dividend stocks. Or maybe he thinks my retirement account is fake because it's worth over a million bucks, but how can that be possible since you can only contribute so much each year? And my simple answer is that's what happens if you invest in decent stocks for three decades. You get lots of appreciation over time. I also grew my taxable account to over a million by lots of small contributions over multiple decades, combined with larger amounts whenever I came into more cash. Ironically, while the troll thinks my portfolio is magically and impressively going up, the reality is that my portfolio has been underperforming the S P 500 this last year, which is what you should expect given my portfolio composition. I mean, my income portfolio is quite conservative, so I tend to do better when the market crashes, but I also tend to do worse than the market when we have bull markets. I used to have less of an income-oriented portfolio, which meant I'd get more stock appreciation but less income. If I wanted more stock appreciation now, then I'd get out of my tobacco stocks my two income ETFs and instead I'd go heavier into things that I think will grow more, dividend or not. Of course, since the market tends to go up more than it goes down, then odds my current portfolio will underperform over the long run, but I'm cool with that given that I'm already retired and my portfolio meets my needs as well as my family's needs. Plus, I have some super low-yield stuff in Apple and Microsoft, and even conservative stuff like McDonald's and JJ and j and Procter Gamble and such should tend to go up nicely over the long run, so my portfolio should still do fine no matter what. Generally speaking, the lower the yield, the higher the CAGR, and the higher the probable stock appreciation. And there'll be times that I'll beat the market even in up years, and there'll be times I'll underperform even in bear markets. Now, a question you might be thinking is why would I purposefully build a portfolio that I believe will tend to underperform the market? Well, the answer is that my needs for passive dividend income trumps my desire for total returns. Of course, most of you who aren't retired or aren't in a situation like mine shouldn't be in that camp. I have a variety of life-threatening health situations which can literally turn me into a vegetable at any moment and I need to be confident that cash will keep flowing in for me and my wife and kids without anything happening. I'm confident my dividends will continue to outpace inflation over the long run, so my buying power will probably continually improve with certain periods of problems that I'll have to navigate through. Now if I was younger and didn't have health issues, then I'd have more aggressive portfolios with higher betas. Like I'd expect my kids' portfolios to do much better than mine from an appreciation perspective. And in fact, in the last 12 months, my kids' portfolios have over doubled the performance of the overall market. And let's be real, I know that the likelihood of them beating the market over the long run is very small but regardless, I'm confident they'll do just fine with holding some dividend stocks and some non-dividend stocks. If my troll was a bit more sophisticated, he could simply model my portfolio along with my buys and sells and dividends, and then he'd see that nothing special is happening. I'm under the age where I can withdraw dividends penalty-free from my retirement accounts, so I take the 10% tax penalty to withdraw early. But now imagine if I wasn't withdrawing over 100 grand a year in dividends and instead was reinvesting it, imagine how much larger and faster my portfolios would grow. Then what would my troll say? Regardless, it's amazing to get paid for doing nothing, especially purely passive income where I don't have to deal with tenants or maintenance issues or whatever. Investing can truly be life changing. I recently saw this TikTok of a guy who was talking about the secret way that wealthy people are getting richer, which he said was through owning companies that do buybacks and pay dividends to their shareholders. For him that was apparently a big and bad secret. His suggestion was don't buy from big companies so that smaller local companies can win instead of the 1% that has most of their wealth in stocks. Now, I found it crazily ironic that he was talking into an iPhone while trying to convince people not to use products from big companies. But hey, if he doesn't want to go to McDonald's, then great, don't go. Don't buy toilet paper. Don't chew gum. Just farm on your own, I guess. But don't buy any shovels from Home Depot or you'll be supporting the man. Of course, don't drive a car. Don't buy gas. Don't play video games. Get off TikTok and get off Google and, well, maybe that's just kind of silly maybe instead of ragging on people who invest in companies companies that pay their owners a part of their profits in the form of a dividend why don't you start investing i know you'd be becoming the very thing you hate but maybe your mind would change a bit and you could still shop locally when it's available i know i love going to farmers markets more do whatever you want maybe just keep making tiktoks on your iphone and keep slamming people who use stuff from big companies and now i'd like to close things out and i normally do a shout out to my newest patreon aristocrat and king signups but i'm still all sold out so instead I'd like to thank Seeking Alpha who sponsors me. Consider using my Seeking Alpha affiliate link in the description of this video, as using it often comes with benefits for new member signups. Or try out my new FastGraphs affiliate link, I think you'll be impressed. Whatever you do, please hit that thumbs up button, subscribe if you haven't yet, and click the bell notification. And I highly recommend that you join my free Dividend Discord chat server, which has over 11,000 dividend investors on it from 80 countries around the world. Thanks for watching, stay positive, and I'll talk to you again real soon. Remember, I'm not a financial advisor and my videos are for entertainment and inspirational purposes only. Investing of any kind involves risk. I'm only sharing my opinions with no guarantee of gains or losses on investments.